theme music is so amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I enjoy jamming out. Oh yeah, like shout out to Andrew Wilson. Like that is one of the best like intro songs any podcast has got. And we Agreed. got off an actual multi like platinum, no, not quite. Uh multi-million download selling musician. Downloaded loads of times thanks to the Monument Mythos. Thank you so much. And Daniel Wilson also. Thank you so much for the animation at the start. If you guys aren't watching our videos, you can watch them on YouTube and on Spotify now. Watch the video, you get a really cute animation to begin with the podcast. It's really nice. So. Do you have a link to their stuff in the video? Uh, I do. Uh, well, the link is always in the description, so you will find a link to Andrew and Daniel Wilson's information in the description of like the ten most recent episodes. I think since we've been using the the animation, so check that out if you guys are, are listening. They they're so talented. I hired one of them. I'm looking to hire uh, the other one, but that's like further down the line. Another conversation. Anyway, hello everyone, <laughs> and welcome to season three, episode fourteen of history's greatest idiots the show where we look back through all of human history and give you lessons that you can learn from so you never repeat the mistakes of idiots ever again but who are we kidding we're humans and we make tons of mistakes all the time and it's fun and one of those mistakes is not going to see oppenheimer uh as is <laughs> just saying uh we sat in the very back because my dad said so we can stay out of the blast radius that's a good joke that's a good dad joke right there in dad uh yeah that's dad prop jokes prop, that's, prop, that's, prop for dad jokes yeah that's like top tier dad joke right there that's like yeah. almost a normal joke but like <laughs> it was told by a dad so therefore it's a dad joke but that's like almost crossing a boundary into mainstream jokeage so yeah well so, done father toasterzoid that was a very good <laughs> joke um Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, man? I hear you're kind of burning alive in Arizona right now, as Dude. normal for every summer. Oh, yeah, it's actually records, though. It's, um, <clears throat> I think it's 10 or 15 or 800 days straight over 1,000 degrees or something insane Jeez. like that. I don't know, face of the sun, that's where I live. Yeah, basically. And also, <laughs> all of, like, Europe, except for the UK is currently either on fire or experiencing the most dramatic heat waves. And I'm sitting here and we had nothing but rain yesterday and I went for a walk with the dog earlier and my wife and it was lovely and calm, like 20 degrees Celsius. It's just a pleasant, so nice jealous. breeze blowing through the trees. I was like, ah, it's wonderful to be in England <sighs> for a change. I'm an envious bastard over here. <laughs> uh, we weren't going to talk about the weather, so I'm going to talk about a slight change in my setup, actually, which I haven't had a chance to tell you about. Um, it was Prime Day the other week, and like the 11th and 12th of July, I think it was. And I was like, fuck it. I got a pet. Oh, yeah, you've got a new hat. That's, nice. that's Prime Day. Prime Day, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I, I got a raise recently. I got my quarterly bonus. I'm going to treat myself a little bit for the first time in a while and um i bought a new computer monitor so nice. yeah i did it's the 32 inch curved screen and it was 140 pounds instead of 220 so i was like oh shit yeah that's pretty good so <laughs> my, my american ass was like that is a heavy monitor man <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's uh yes like uh almost as much as as me Right, yeah. in terms of weight. No, in, in pounds as in PO, you know, sterling. Oops. 
Um, yeah, so I got that and I plugged it in and I was I said to my wife, I was boasting, I was like, this is going to solve all my problems. Like, I'm no longer going to need two screens. This is going to be absolutely fine. And then I got it and it wasn't enough for both to do all I needed on one screen. So I, I still have a second screen, but I've kind of coordinated them in such a way that it works. And I, I then had to buy like a stand for my webcam because my webcam could no longer get over, and I had to move my microphone because I could no longer get over the back of the fucking thing. Dude, so you did a whole rearrange. I did. My table's much tidier now, but it makes it virtually impossible for anyone to get into the room when the microphone stood up. <laughs> so uh, this is basically now my full-time office because I can't get in or out, and nobody else can get in. So, Well, I yeah. like how you, you managed to, to set it up and still have the exact uh, like back relief there. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. No, I seem to change every episode for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm never touching my background. I love my background. Uh, another message from Toasterzoid. He's very impressed with his father's joke because he's a boomer. How old is your dad? Toasty, without being too personal. We didn't ask him for his first and last name and social security number. But, like, if he's, like, what, what's the cutoff for the baby boomer generation? Because Gen X is, like, almost all the way up to, like, I don't, I don't. How I don't even. Fuck I don't. I think generations are dumb. <laughs> it is kind of <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Basically, if he, I think if he's over sixty, he would count as a boomer. But yeah, because we're both like very elder millennials. There's a thing called zenial, which Dude, is like I want to be an elder millennial. I didn't. I'm taking that. I'm an elder millennial. We're an elder millennial. There's a, a period between 1979 and 1982, which is called zenial, where like you're old enough to remember Betamax but you're young enough to use digital editing software or something like that. So like we're, we're in both camps. Like I can remember the transformers and I know how to apply filters in when I'm editing videos. So uh -huh. that's, that's what kind of denotes a Xenial. Uh in his fifties, I believe. Okay. So he's a few years older than us. He's probably gen X. I think not that we're, we're picking like on here. He's still got a lot to answer for, but uh, you know, gen X, not quite a boomer. Um, Oh, right. Bright eyes. I finally caught another live. My notifications aren't working. We're very sorry for the people who don't get our notifications. Goodness. Those yeah. are bright eyes. Yeah, they are. Burning <laughs> like fire. Um, so um, before I get going, I need to give a, a special shout out to our patrons because we have two now, not just one. I want to say a big, massive shout out to our original patron, Jesse Christ. The OG. Um, yes, real G. And now our, uh, our solid second ever patron, Kimberly Johnson. Thank you so much for joining um, our patron. If you guys would like to join our Patreon, uh, go to uh, patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots. Oh, Bri-Eyes, you're number two. I'm number, I'm number two. two. I'm number two. <laughs> um, go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots. You can become a patron for hours. There's various tiers, like as low as like five bucks a month and... Uh, all the way up to 10 bucks a month and you can get a free gift and you get um episode um scripts from previous episodes i'll be posting that hopefully at some point in the next couple of days and a bunch of life updates from us and also you get a shout out in the the uh podcast itself and you know loads of other stuff that we will be doing uh, as like patreon exclusives so yeah stay please join and give us some money so that we can make this our full-time job because Man, we both want this as our full-time job. Yeah, because we just want to hang out with you all the time. We do oh. want to hang out with you all the time. We want to go weekly. We can't afford to go weekly right now because we're both so fucking busy. Um, 
so busy. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for that. And also, if you guys want to follow us, go to on social media. Go to at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram, and go to Greatest Idiots on Twitter, where we are currently live. So if you're watching on Twitter, hi Twitter. You're going to be called X soon because Elon has spoken. So yeah, I I I, I got off Twitter again. I'm on threads, but I forget that I have that, just like I forgot I had Twitter. Yeah, I kind of forget that I have threads. I post something like once a week. Sometimes we have threads. I'm on threads. Yeah, you know. Does this have a threads though? Does our show have a threads? Oh no, we don't have a threads yet. We'll need to. We'll need to get a threads. My bad. Ourselves up with a threads because that's got a (laughs) hundred million untapped potential listeners that we all forget that the platform even exists. Exactly. Yeah, like occasionally go in and go. Oh yeah, I should probably check in on this because this is another thing I've got now. Um, the highest tier gets you a guarantee that you won't be convert uh, covered by the podcast if you do something ultra stupid. Very good point. If you donate, I, I'm going to set a random tier now. Hundred dollars. You basically indemnify yourself against future stupidity. So we will send you a certificate that you can produce when you do something really stupid. Just show it to, you know, the FCC. FBI, <laughs> whoever's trying to arrest you, and just say, look, I have this certificate from a podcast. I paid $100 for this thing. This means that you can't arrest me because um, I gave them a lot of money, therefore I can never be stupid because I gave them <laughs> money. Indeed. I'm yeah. definitely going to do that. Totally now. legit. Totally fine. So, Derek, um, can you tell us, I know you've got a con man, con person this time. Yes. Yep. yep. Can you tell us about your idiot, please? Well, I've wandered over to Europe for this one. Ooh, fun. And he wandered over to the United States. Ah, oh, so you were like ships in the night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Today I present to you the captivating and incredibly absurd life of Christopher, and I don't know if I'm saying this last name right, but uh, I'm going to say it a lot, so bear with me. Rokencourt. Ooh, Okay. The notorious French con artist who managed to bamboozle his way through high society and left a trail of deception in his wake from Los Angeles to New York City, collecting millions along the way. Oh, wow. Um, He was born in Honfleur, France. Is that right? I I guess so. It's on the Normandy coast. Right. Okay. Uh, Born the 16th of July, 1967, to a modest family. In an interview, he said his mother was sometimes a prostitute and his father was a drunk that dropped him off at an orphanage when he was a five. Standard French upbringing? No, I, I didn't mean that. No, not really. Uh, but man, that sounds that sounds a bit intense, if it's yeah, true. That's He's a, rough a con life. man, so we have to take everything with a grain of salt, right? So. Exactly. Uh, From an early age, he displayed an uncanny knack for manipulation and storytelling and getting his way through charm and flattery. His childhood friends described him as a troublemaker, which, you know, set him up for a life of mischief and bad things. Um, In his late teens, he moved to the United States after he got out of jail in France and out of the orphanages. He... Let's see where I got lost. Oh, yeah. He moved to the United States in his late teens. His real-life drama started uh, to get underway. He's armed with this irresistible charm and questionable morals. He starts targeting wealthy and influential individuals in L.A. His M.O. is assuming different identities, which seems to be 
what people that target wealthy individuals do. They yeah reminds me a bit of Clark Rockefeller, basically. You're gonna yeah. like this. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. <clears throat> this <clears throat> this too is a Rockefeller. <clears throat> no way. Yes. Um, I'm kind of wondering how often this happens because <laughs> there was Anna Delvey and Clark yeah. Rockefeller and this guy. It seems to be like the go-to, like, oh, I'm exceedingly wealthy. I'm from Europe. Give me your cash. Uh, and know? we just fall for it over here. We're just exactly. like, yeah, that sounds, seems legit. Yeah. Ooh, they're, they're exotic. <laughs> <gasps> Let's get the money. So during the 1990s, Christopher's confidence soars to these new heights, and he adopts a nickname, Rocky. Of course. Among others. He has this persona of wealth and excitement of a former professional boxer and oh, venture cool. capitalist and movie producer of course and maybe even the illegitimate son of sophia loren and the nephew of oscar de la renta and dino oh. de la rentas i mean that's easy to fact check right you just like call up her agent and go hey illegitimate son here trying to ruin a reputation maybe you want to catch up with this guy yeah, but nobody did. I mean, somehow he even managed to live with Mickey Rourke for a while. Oh. But I mean, it was the 90s, so he was probably hard up for a little bit. He did yeah. also convince Jean-Claude Van Damme to let him stay with him and give him a bunch of money because he was going to get him in the next movie. Must have been while he was on his way out. But he was doing, like, time cop and shit. Yeah, and also, like, Mickey Rourke, Jean-Claude Van, Van Damme, I mean, these these are no, like, geniuses. No offense, particularly at this point in time, like Mickey Rourke was, the 90s were a dark period for Mickey Rourke. I mean, he was probably still boxing at that point. So a few yeah. brain cells had been smashed out of his head at that point. So, yeah. My favorite scam that he was running at this time, though, is that he was in talks with uh, Jermaine Jackson, too. Oh, and, really? Uh, <clears throat> you you want to guess why? Uh, Jackson 5 Reunion. No, they were going to develop fragrances, and those what? fragrances were to be inspired by Jermaine's brother's songs. Yes, that's right. They were going to have uh, Michael Jackson's song-inspired fragrances, because I don't even know how that works, but smell, the, sound. Yeah, the stranger in Moscow smell like, um, like <laughs> cabbage soup and vodka. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is... Uh, um, um, Billy Jean smell like then. Uh, it will have been. What does beat uh, it smell like? <laughs> <laughs> beat it smells like Vaseline. Oh, warm, warm. Uh, anyway, so throughout the. <laughs> I can smell oh, this song. What's what did Toast Desert say there? Mary into Sorry, the Rockefeller uh, family. Sorry, step one. Mar Mar I think Mary into the Rockefeller family. Step two. Watch your partner being obliterated by a nervous system. Step three. Marry into another rich family. Yeah, that's a, a Monument Mythos reference. Oh, Billy Jean smells like beans. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That totally Seems legit. Works. Um, so, so throughout the 90s, Christopher Ronan Court was honing his skills and scamming his way through LA. In 1992, he marries uh, Gry Park under the assumed name Christopher De Laurentiis. Right. And they have a kid. Okay. In 1996, while he's married to Gry, he marries Playboy model Pia Reyes, and they have a son. 
Oh. Don't know what name he married her under, but she was unaware of um, Park. Yeah. And then at the same time, he was also living with Playboy model Rondell Rydell or Rhonda Rydell. You'd think they talked to each other. Right. Yeah, she didn't you know, know about the wife or the girlfriend, wife, girlfriend. Yeah, and like multiple Playboy models, like they get invited along to the, the mansion. They're hanging out in the grotto with Jack Nicholson and James Kahn trying to just climb on them. Old Christopher De Laurentiis. Yeah. And they're like, hang on, who did you say your partner was? Oh, get off me, James. You're fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That, that, wow. Yeah. So he's with two Playboy bunny people models and mm. uh, another lady and he's popping kids out. He's telling this uh, Rhonda Rydell that he's French nobility and the son of a countess. <laughs> and she she takes him into the art world where he starts mm. running under the alias uh, Christopher de Bage. Christopher de Bage. Ooh, ah, yeah. It's very artistic. He, yes, Christopher. He's a wealthy European aristocrat with a passion for collecting art. He comes up with backstories and shit, which I loved. He's armed with a, a few art-related jargons and a flamboyant accent. He manages to convince some art dealers and collectors that he's got really good taste and vast resources, but he doesn't. So he swindles his way through some of the circles and then dips out. The cops nice. uh, raid his hotel room sometime in 1997. And in 1998, uh, well, he was on the run from that because they didn't catch him. He's involved in a shootout and gets arrested. Holy shit. Jumps bail and oh is on the run. What the fuck? And gets some forged uh, passports and heads up to um, the Hamptons. Jesus or, Christ. Or Canada. Is this guy a spy? Because this is, I mean, other than the deliberately setting yourself up with multiple different women and having illegitimate children. This sounds very much like a Bond film so far. So far, yes. Yeah. He's, he's with all the, the sexy Playboy ladies, <laughs> and he's got multiple passports. Yeah. And he's stealing art. Wait, Bond doesn't steal art, does he? Uh, I mean, we don't know. He's in shootouts. He Is has Bond downtime. in shootouts? Is Bond in shootouts? Uh, hmm, I don't think he's ever used a weapon. Uh, yeah, Bond's in a shootout. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, this dude's on the run from all of his nonsense in L.A., and he ends up in the Hamptons um, under various aliases. And Again. that's when he starts using the one that I know you're going to love. Hmm. He introduces himself as Rockefeller. Yes. Christopher Rockefeller. Call me oh, Christopher. Oh, no way. Christopher Rockefeller. <laughs> My God, there's like multiple Rockefellers living in the same part of the world at the same time, and neither of them are Rockefellers. Exactly. Wow. And everybody's like, oh, wow, I got to meet, I got to know this guy. He's 30 I mean, at this years point, old. I'm more of a Rockefeller than they fucking are. This is hilarious. Exactly. Well, and he's got a French accent, which is, should be. Um, that's a red flag right there. Kind of. Yeah. He's 38 years old, French accent. He's a Rockefeller, but he's rubbing elbows with with new money out there with oh. like Wall Street types mm. and using the name Rockefeller. That's that's old money. The new money wants to rub money, uh, rub elbow with the old money. It does. He should have gone with Rothschild. Like, surely that would make more sense because they're Germanic origins. There's branches of the Rothschild family in various countries. It would have made more sense to go with that. But he went with Rockefeller. Really weird. I, I, the story is, is he was at a, a, a health club 
Sorry to interrupt, uh, Kimberly. I'm Kimberly Rockefeller. Yeah, let's just all call ourselves Rockefeller now. It seems like everyone's fucking doing it. Give me some money, Americans. I'm a Rockefeller. <laughs> well, I think it was kind of on accident because what had happened was what had happened hmm. was he ended up at a health spa and nice. he signed in using the name Christopher Rockefeller, <laughs> and people saw that and then kind of gravitated to him. And by then it was too late, and he just went with it. I'm just, I'm trying to have a mud bath. Just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I just signed in to get you people off my back. That probably wow. made it more attractive if he didn't want them to, you know. Oh, yeah. But he ended up scamming them out of around two hundred thousand dollars over the summer in two thousand, and a, then poof, an interesting summer. Off he goes. <laughs> At the end of the summer of two thousand, in two thousand and one. Uh, they finally caught up with him in Canada, where he's arrested for fraud and forgery and defrauding a businessman of over $100,000. And he spends a little bit of time in jail in Canada. And then the United States was like, hold on. <laughs> we want him. Yeah. So yeah. in January 2003, my butthead fell over. Did you hear that? Oh, no. <laughs> trying um, to escape. Uh, in 2003, he agrees to a settlement in New uh, to his charges that stem from his exploits in New York and Los Angeles, where he was accru- uh, accused of defrauding victims of approximately 1.2 million dollars wow. through the 90s and and early 2000s. It's, he- it's interesting though because obviously, while he's a con man and he's conned people out of a lot of money, you know, for for like a period of of 10 years, that's not a huge amount of money for a con man. You know, you normally hear of like tens of millions, hundreds of millions, stuff like that. And I feel like one of the reasons he probably got away with it so long was because the cons were like, because they're rich and they're like, oh, well, this is just one of those lessons I have to learn. I've lost like 15 grand to this person. I'm just going to write it off. I feel like he got away with it because it was a lot of money to him, but not so much to these people. So therefore they just sort of, I didn't want to handle the embarrassment of it. Really? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Cause it was like 15 here, 20 here, 50 yeah. there. And, um, there was an article in vanity fair on this guy where they kind of knew he was full of shit. Cause he's a, a Rockefeller, but he drives a Mazda and they thought it was weird. Yeah. There you go. So you red flag. Yeah. So he, he agrees to a settlement and ends up sentenced to, are you ready? Four years in prison. Oh shit. All right. Um, Two months later, he pleads guilty to federal charges, and he's sentenced to three years and ten months in prison. Okay, are those consecutive or concurrent? Like, is one going to come after the other? Or Well, in October of 2005, we sent him back to Paris here, and oh. he had completed his sentence. Oh. Once back in Paris, he moved in with former Miss France, Sonia Roland, and they had a daughter. This guy must be really charming. He's getting all these. He's relatively women. attractive. He kind of looks like the like the the talented Mr. Ripley guy, but not oh, the Clark yeah. one. But the right. what's that guy's name? Um, uh, the actor, not M- Mad Damon. No, the other one. Uh, Jude Law. Yeah, that one. He kind of looks a little bit like him. I wonder. If all I right, can... so he's got that kind of suave European thing going on. I was yeah. going to say if he. There's there's a flaw in the con right there because if he's saying he's a Rockefeller and he's handsome, he's definitely not a fucking Rockefeller because <laughs> that family is not a good looking bunch. Oh my bulb just went. Jesus, that was dark. There I just got that fucking thing lamp. replaced. Please 
go to our Patreon. I need more bulbs <laughs> for my salt lamp. <laughs> oh man! Uh, uh, in two thousand nine, this guy's image now. Yeah, actually, I could. You could probably pull that up if you want. Yeah, let me, let me try and find this. that. Yeah. Um, 2009, Chris gets back up to his old tricks. In July, a French filmmaker accused him of scamming her out of 700,000 euros. Um, this particular French filmmaker was diagnosed with a cerebrovascular disease in 2004 and okay. accused him of taking advantage of her due to her mental incapacity. So in 2012, he was convicted of, um, I'm just going to say it in English, abuse of weakness. For right. taking her money, and he was sentenced to sixteen month in, in in months in prison. Wow! And so this time he finally learned his lesson, or not, um, <laughs> or not. Yeah. October fourteenth, Christopher is arrested again, along with his lawyer. There he is. There Maybe he is. Dude, law. Yeah, I mean it's not far off. He's got like an interesting face. Also, it's really interesting that Clark Rockefeller hey, is. is it? He's is right also on here. Yeah, he's up there too. So they're mentioning, hey, look at all these con men calling themselves Rockefellers. Uh, so that's him there. But like some of the more recent pictures, he does not look so good. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Please okay. continue. Um. So October 2014, he's arrested along with his lawyer, Ooh. his 23-year-old girlfriend. I don't believe it was the Miss France. Um, oh. Also a member of the French police that wow. he allegedly bribed to supply with genuine passports and visas to be sold to illegal immigrants. Oh dear. And uh, that's that's all I got on him. That's the life of Christopher Ronan Court, which, you know, his his life is a testament to the audacity of human deception, I would say. And I I think just he he call, he called himself Rockefeller, so I had to cover mm. yeah, him well, even uh, though yeah. there's not much on him. Uh, there should be a movie. He had an interesting and entertaining life, but most of what's out there come from interviews from him. So. Yeah. I'm wondering, and this is just a random thing. Uh, I'm just going to pitch this to Netflix again. I'm talking to you once again, Netflix. We come up with all of your good ideas. Um, <laughs> the two Rockefellers. So you like you go from one episode to the other, and you're covering Clark in one and Christopher in another, and you just go chronologically through their lives one after another, and Split times. I, I that's like it writes itself. Dueling like Rockefellers. Dueling Rockefellers from slightly different periods in time. It's um, it's it's really interesting that 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 that's a common thread for people. And also, they've got a lot of similarities. Like he's a Rockefeller. Why is he driving a piece of shit car? Um, and like taking a little bit of money. Although I will say, I think Christopher has something slightly over Clark in that he probably hasn't murdered two people, unlike Clark, who definitely has. So, um, yeah, he seems I, to have just just stolen stuff and ran yeah. away and slept with people like really beautiful women. And yeah. like 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 uh, like Kimberly says here, like he's not that good looking at all. <laughs> and Tostazoid says here, most generic Frenchman I've ever seen. Yeah, he just yeah. looks like a normal dude that I mean, just he must be incredibly charming and also. I just wonder if these people want to hear a certain thing and he's able to tap into that and just tell them exactly what they want to hear. So man. very well could be, I suppose yeah. that, uh, I mean, 
Also, he he does run around with just wads of cash. Right. Yes. So there's so that. <laughs> it's good to be able to run around with like a big bundle of cash and be able to spend it at will. I I I never been in a position in my life where I can flex. Although I think the greatest flex was, hey, I'm going to buy as a house now to my wife, and then just like, guess what? The mortgage is going to be tiny because we have a massive like six figure down payment. So. Um, yeah, that was my biggest financial flex ever. Never been able to do it before or since. <laughs> so. My biggest financial flex ever was, honey, I'm no longer working in radio. <laughs> <laughs> I can make real money now. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm under no illusions that I'll make my fortune in radio anymore because unfortunately very few people do. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting. And also it sounds like, and this is another thing with this guy, we said it for a bunch of people before, particularly... Um, Elizabeth Holmes I don't think this is the end of this guy's story I think there's loads more to come from this guy I think he is, his mission to constantly fuck up and con people is going to be continuing for a very long time and I guarantee he gets another Playboy girl pregnant like, oh Jesus. probably Yeah. Well, Playboy, does it still exist? I thought it went bankrupt Um, I don't even do you know, know anymore question. I, I do know that the, the mansion's been sold so yeah. they were trying to get like $250 million for it, which like you're paying for the history at that point because uh, it's a nice plot in LA, but it's not a quarter of a billion dollars nice. Yeah, it's you know? definitely paying for the history. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, look at all the semen stains from so many celebrities. <laughs> such such history. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dude, somebody uh, that wants to clone former celebrities <laughs> bought that place. <laughs> it's like a, It's just an army of Jack Nicholson clones just coming out of the house <laughs> trying to take over LA that's fucking disgusting all the illegitimate children team up to take him down yeah it's it's got a kind of a, a death note vibe to it where everyone yeah all the people he's wronged take him down Ooh. oh it's um yeah that's a really interesting one I, I he sounds reasonably successful but I feel like the level of con he's operating at it wouldn't be that difficult to be successful in that situation because you're not asking for like the kind of money that raises any eyebrows really like to people who are multi-millionaires 10 grand's kind of nothing you know kind of, lose that yeah. weekend in vegas yeah you know? yeah so i i feel like uh because he's quite unsuccessful um and partially because I'm envious of the fact that he's able to meet so many beautiful women and somehow <laughs> end up with them. Uh, I'm going to give this guy like a 75, but this is going to be with an asterisk. I think there's more to come from this guy, and I don't think his time of kind of fucking people over and stealing money and maybe ending up in the eyes of the law and, and all that, I don't think we're quite done with that phase of his life Yeah, yet. I don't think so either. So there's more to I'll come I'll take from. that. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um if it had been like Clark who killed people, um, then you know, we're talking a lot more. Um and I... also like Clark kidnapped his own child. So Oh yeah. Yeah. He was kind of creepy. He was like a scary yeah. he was a scary fake Rockefeller. Yeah, it's... he was. And but like he was also not very good because when he tried to do like I'm a Rockefeller, let me loose on the financial markets. Like within a few months, people like this guy's shit at his job. What is he doing here? <laughs> like he wasn't a very good con artist because he couldn't pull it off. I think I just came up with the title for the new Netflix series. Oh yeah, which just covers con artists that pretend to be Rockefellers. I want to be a Rockefeller. 
I want to be and a Rockefeller. Yeah. Maybe it could just be a reality TV show of people that <laughs> want to be Rockefeller con artists. <laughs> it's just like a fly on the wall where they're just following people around. Or they go, hey, you know, I'm Damon Rockefeller. I'm Giles Rockefeller. Give me some fucking money. They're going to have to do works. They're going to have to do some sort of reality television because they're not going to pay the writers, apparently. No, exactly. So you need to get the cheapest, lowest common denominator. And we all know that's reality television. So And fake Rockefellers. Uh, and podcasting. So, uh, <laughs> so go for it. I'd be less angry if I got murdered than it, I would if I got murdered by a guy named Clark. I, I, yeah, it's, it's not the kind of name that you expect to be a murderer, really. But that's not his real name. So, if I get named by, if I get murdered by a Clark, it better be Griswold. Yes, exactly. Or, or like a, re, a, a brought to life Kent. You know, <laughs> if the fictional character ever comes to life. My name is Mohammed Rockefeller. I don't think that would work quite so much, but you know, I mean, I buy apparently it. people fall for it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So seventy-five for Christopher Rockefeller, who I'm going to call him that because it's easier for me to remember. Um, but what was his, <laughs> his real name? Christopher Rockencourt. Con, con, court. Rockencourt. Court. Yes. Court. Yeah. He's court. Yeah. Chris he, Court. Really interesting, and also like. Um, not handsome, really, but charming. I think is is the phrase. He's more of a classic con man than a an aggressive con man. I think. I think I just so. figured it out. It's the French accent in the United States. Everybody Absolutely. just falls for it. <laughs> you want my you want my spare time and my sexual appetite. <laughs> uh, yes, so it's so seductive. Yeah, it's the fabulous <laughs> you. Everyone wants. Serge Gainsbourg, like, oh, Mademoiselle. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think anyone's going for my voice, <laughs> my French <laughs> voice. I, I am sorry to the people of France. I do like you. I am a fellow Celt. You know, I just I can't help myself sometimes. I'm so sorry, uh, Kimberly. Uh, yeah, with the skull, that's that's fairly accurate. Um, so from one con artist and liar to, and I mean, pretty much everyone we cover in this show is a liar of some sort really unless they're really so stupid they don't realize what they're doing is wrong uh which is sometimes the case but yeah. we're moving on to mine now and uh sorry. is it a bad time to make a princess and the frog joke oh yes uh may we um so moving on to my guy so let me introduce you to nick leeson the accidental anarchist Ooh. it will be familiar to people from the uk but this man has got issues and while we were talking about 1.2 million for um christopher rockefeller that's like that's like a couple of hours work for this fucker um mm. yeah nicholas william leeson was born on the 25th of february 1967 in watford hertfordshire not too far from where i used to live um about 10 years ago it's actually also the town where the Harry Potter studio tour is based. So if you get off at Watford Junction, you can get on one of those amazing purple night buses and get taken to the studio, and you can walk around and spend shitloads in the bloody um, gift shop. And yeah. And you, Wait, you said he was born when? Uh, sorry, uh, February 25th, 1967 in Watford. So he's five months older than my guy. Oh, wow. That's pretty Wow, neat. the similar type, only like the extent to this guy's destruction is colossal um and also sorry we're going on about watford now um watford home of elton john um so that's where elton john's from a good old reg 
Reginald Dwight from from Watford. Um, so <laughs> born to working class parents on a council estate, which is kind of like projects in the UK. So you can't afford housing. Even to this day, like um, a council flat, like a two, three bedroom council flat um, on like a high rise. That's like £300 a month um, to rent one of those. So you get you don't have to pay your council tax, which is what normally goes towards police and fire and okay. stuff like that. So you get a very good house. And actually, they're, they're much safer and, and better maintained than they used to be. So it's just there's not a lot of them. And we've got like years worth of queues of people trying to get housing and they can't get it because Thatcher... But uh, yeah, that's basically the answer to that one. Uh, the Prisoner of Asda. Seems like Asda there's a shortage of houses everywhere. It pretty much, yeah. It's almost like selling it off to developers who want to like get a portfolio and then charge ten times what the house pr- house is actually worth in rent. It's almost like that's a bad thing for the world. Um, you so, could say that. You could, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Airbnb. Um, so born to working class parents on a council estate, his father was a self-employed plasterer. And his mother was a nurse. After finishing sixth form in 1985, which is like the like senior year in, in high okay. school, um, in 1985, with six O levels. So those are like, those are the exams that in this country you take at like 16. So okay. you take your O levels, they're now called GCSEs. And if you get five or more, so you take like 11. And if you pass five, you can move up to A level. Dude, no and wonder I don't, don't understand soccer. I don't understand your guys' school. I know. It's it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Um, so you, you do your O-levels, and it's like it's all of the subjects. It's like maths, history, geography, sciences, like three different sciences, even like religious studies and like some random courses like Latin, English, um, all of this stuff. You take that, and then you move up to your A-levels where you do three subjects, and you like specialize. So you choose like three different things that you want to specialize in. It could be like biology. It could be art. It could be music. It could be, you know, geography, history, whatever you want to do at university. Generally, one of those subjects is going to be one of your three. Well, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. It's like you're getting specialist on the job training. It's difficult because those three subjects are very intense and you'll spend like essentially like three hours a day per subject in those classrooms so it's a lot of learning but it works out you know people go to university and they've already got like a head start on this curriculum because they've already had the training so it helps what, the like what age do you start uh, you start at 16 uh, to 18 so okay. like the last two years of your schooling you we need it. to do a special podcast where i just sit here and learn about how to things work everywhere British else works <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a special episode where we share cultural differences that are really confusing to the rest of the world but have been part of our lives our entire time so um yeah so he finished sixth form with six o levels so he passed more than five to get into the a levels and two a level passes in one in english literature and one in history with a c and a d grades respectively so scrape those really didn't do particularly well and failing his third subject mathematics um although it didn't seem to slow him down because he was hired as a clerk for the lombard street branch of coots coats coats private bank where he settled paper checks and crediting and debiting client accounts it's telling that he would get a job for a major bank despite having failed maths back in 1985 because nowadays to get like 
a job in like a basic telling position in a bank, you have to be really qualified. You know, there are people with master's degrees out of work right now. But I mean, like, what what does the the maths entail? And like, can I do it on this? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably just, I mean, even back in 1985, there would have been systems in place to make his life as easy like and efficient key. as possible. So, like a 10 key with a paper thing, right? Basically, yeah. Like a fucking crank typewriter <laughs> or something. A recipe. Yeah. Good point by Kimberly. Recipe for disaster straight away. Um, so he's, it's 1985. He's, um, what was it? He's, uh, was it settled paper checks? crediting and debiting client accounts so he's learning basically the functions of a, a bank at the ground floor like the super basic stuff that people have to do to get their accounts working and stuff like that but in 1987 leeson moved to morgan stanley futures um and options back office futures and options sorry back office Ooh. clearing and settling listed derivatives transactions no idea what those are but it sounds like he's he's moved up in the world it's more I feel like that math has to be way more complicated. Oh, fuck yes. Like, <laughs> definitely. I mean, it's been two years after his um, kind of A-level failure. He's now, what, like 19, 20? And he's working for Morgan Stanley despite not having a, a, a qualification in maths. That's kind of crazy. Maybe he got but better. He probably did. You know, at a certain point, like, I wasn't super intelligent in school. And, you know, when I went to university, I flourished because I found the subject that I needed to specialize in and my method to research that. And it's carried on through my life. So it's just time sometimes. But I think we're about to find out that he may have not been the right person for this um, with a few with um, a few prospects for well, sorry, with few prospects for a front office job. He joined Bearings Bank two years later on £12,000 a year, equivalent to £33,037 in 2023 money. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of um, kind of inflation adjustments and okay. translations from pounds to dollars. Good. So that it makes sense for people, <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of money talk in this podcast episode. So just want to warn you right now, I'm going to be doing a lot of adjustments for inflation and a lot of pounds to dollars so that it can make sense to people in nowadays because there's a lot of money involved in this guy and most of it is bad. Anyway, so he's now working with bearings. Um, it, the average um, UK house price in 1987 was £35,000 a year. So he's on £12,000 a year. And the average house is £35,000 a year. So that's three years' salary, essentially, to buy a house. So Yeah, that's... Wow. That's not bad. I mean, obviously, you know, he's going to have outgoings of rent, food, and stuff like that. But even at the end of the year, because cost of living was so much cheaper in the 80s, he's probably still got, like, eight grand left. So yeah. maybe you do five years, you know, at that, and you buy a house. Which sure beats making 40 and paying 400 it sure does. I mean, yeah, so um, to put that into perspective, adjusted for inflation, um, the average house price in the UK in today's money, the £35,000 I just mentioned, equates to £95,000 now. So the current average house price in the UK, instead of it being 95000 like it should be, it's actually 289000 oh, Just a little bit more. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit more. That's the that's three hundred and seventy one thousand five hundred dollars. So that's a lot, and that's just an, and I say an average house. 
in the UK, an average house is like a terrace house, two up, two down, two bedrooms. So not, okay. yeah, tiny little courtyard, back garden, like small thing. So not a lot of space for the money you're paying. Um, before we go any further, though, I need to kind of tell you about Baring's Bank, the people that hired him, because they've got a really interesting history. And actually, it kind of tells you more about what happened with him and them by learning about their history and what happened to them. Okay. So Baring's Bank was founded in 1762 as the John and Francis Baring Company by Sir Francis Baring, first baronet, with his older brother John Baring as a mostly silent partner. They were the sons of John Baring, a uh, wool trainer, wool, sorry, wool trader, you can't train wool, you just trade it, um, of Exeter, born in Bremen, Germany, so he emigrated in, in this part of time. Uh, the company started business in offices off Cheapside in London, and finally, uh, within a few years, moved to larger quarters in Mincing Lane. Another great British name there. Um, both of your cams are frozen. Are they frozen? I better, I better double check. It seems to be unfrozen now. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry about that, Toasty. Um, oh. Yeah, that was a couple of minutes ago. Sorry, Oops. we're unfrozen now. So, at least you can hear us anyway. If that ever happens. Um, so. Uh, Bering uh, gradually diversified from wool into many other commodities, providing financial services for the rapid growth of international trade, including the lucrative slave trade, which, oh. yeah, enriched the family and the business considerably and allowed significant expansions of the bank's activities and prestige. It's probably a good thing that they're not around anymore, if yeah. that's how they built their fucking profits. Yeah, because you probably then you would want them to give that money back yeah reparations yeah at least um but yeah um unfortunately that is a common story without the slave trade in the uk cities like liverpool and bristol kind of wouldn't exist the way they do now they have stunning architecture and beautiful public spaces that weren't bombed by the nazis um that are came about basically because of money from the slave trade and it's mm. a gross part of their history bristol particularly are aware of it and liverpool really so um it's something that not a lot of people talk about the slave trade is talked about a lot in america i think in britain it's not talked about enough partially because we go oh look we we outlawed it a few like decades before america aren't we great well actually no we were fucking horrible and we did terrible awful things Dublin was founded by Viking slavers, wasn't it? Yes, that is also true. Dublin is a slave-founded city. So, to be fair, in Florida, they're teaching people that slaves learned useful skills, at least. Yes, that they could use to for their personal gain. That Ron DeSantis man, he's he's onto something. When you can lie to white people so brazenly, you're probably going to get elected president. So that's <sighs> holy. Except shit. for nobody likes him, I don't think. No. Nobody does. How is this man going to run for president? It's going to cripple the Republicans. Anyway, let him run. Please <laughs> run, Ron. Um, by the seventeen, uh, by the eighteen seventies, Bearings cautiously and successfully ventured into the North American railroad boom, following the Civil War. A new railroad town was renamed Ravelstoke, uh, British Columbia, in honor of the leading partner of the bank, Edward Bearing, the first Baron of Ravelstoke. So. That sounds like a Harry Potter house. 
It definitely fucking does, doesn't it? <laughs> All like some sort of horrible haunted house. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Ravelstoke. Um, Ron didn't get shoved in enough lockers. No, he really fucking didn't, actually. Um, so <laughs> I, I like Ron. Leave Ron alone. Um, so this enabled the completion of the Canadian Pacific Railroad. So they're like instrumental in that. Bearings also helped to finance major railways, including the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway. Oh, so they're responsible hey. for building these fucking things. That's so. one of the railroads that was part of the railroad that I worked for when I oh, worked. That's for the amazing. Small world. BNSF Santa Fe is the SF part of that. I've actually sure. spoken to my wife about this quite a lot, and even though I'm not, I don't give a shit about trains. Uh, like there are some people like like Francis Bourgeois on TikTok and stuff where he just like wears a webcam that's pointed directly at his fucking face and screams whenever a train goes past and chases <laughs> after them while his eyes are pointing off in like multiple different directions. <laughs> it's the, honestly it's one of the funniest things. But like I don't give a shit about trains, but a part of me really wants to do sleeper train experiences. So I've always said that one of my favorite journeys would be like an overnight sleeper train from London to Edinburgh. Um, and then like kind of a week, week long trip in Edinburgh. Edinburgh is one of my favorite, most favorite cities. It's beautiful. But also I'd love to do these like Canadian trips and the Santa Fe railway and stuff. And I kind of like, because, you know, on a holiday, you kind of expected to walk around and see the sights, but actually with my physical condition, the way it is walking around and seeing shit does me in. So yeah. the idea of the sights coming to me, that's great. And then I can just go back to my cabin and go for a sleep. Yes, please. There you so, go. um, I want to yeah. do that one up the Pacific coast, like all the way up California to Washington. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. With the viewer viewing platform trains. Yeah. With the... That sounds great, man. You can just, like, you can either hang out with your significant other or put on some headphones and just watch the world go by. That sounds really fucking good to me. Um, anyway, back to bearings. Um, <laughs> they also, um, in the late 1880s, daring efforts in underwriting got the firm into serious financial trouble through overexposure to Argentina and Uruguayan debt. In 1890, Argentine President Miguel Juarez Salman was forced to resign following the Revolución de, pa de Parque. So the Park Revolution. Just don't go into the woods up here. No, that's, that's we won't be doing that. I'm scared of the woods. Uh, <laughs> Bigfoots is everywhere. Um, and the country, uh, sorry, Argentina was closed, uh, close to defaulting on its debt payments, the crisis finally exposed the vulnerability the vulnerability of bearings, which lacked sufficient reserves to cover the Argentine bonds that they'd issued. Through the organizational skills of the governor of the Bank of Eng England, William Lidderdale, a consortium of banks was arranged, headed by former governor Henry Hux Gibbs and his family firm of um, Anthony Gibbs and Sons to bail bearings out and support um, a banking restructure. So all of the other banks came together and bailed them out instead of the government, which okay. is kind of the, what happened back then. In, so the, in the 1890s. Yes, in okay. the 1890s when, you know, no problems with the banks since then. Uh, the Sasquatch population has been pretty aggressive since the second Skinwalker War. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear that. <laughs> it's been out of control. It's so bad. The violence, my God, stop it. Uh, the resulting turmoil in markets um, became known as the Panic of 1890. A rogue bank, 
causing a massive financial disaster that had worldwide implications. Whoever thought such a Couldn't thing happen. would be possible never happened. Uh, the rescue avoided what could have been a worldwide financial collapse, but Bearings never regained its dominant position after that. A limited liability company, Bearing Brothers & Co. Limited, was formed, to which the viable business of the old partnership was transferred. So that all of the good stuff went to them, and all the other shit was just written off because banks get away with stuff. Um, <laughs> the assets of the old house and several partners were taken over and liquidated to repay the rescue consortium with guarantees uh, provided by the Bank of England. Edward Baring and others lost their partnership along with their personal fortunes, which were pledged to support the bank. Nearly 10 years elapsed before the debts were finally paid. That's a long-ass time for your debts to be paid off. Edward Baring did not live to see this uh, accomplished. He died in 1897. So Ravel Stoke is now, I don't know if they've changed the name, but yeah, it probably didn't come out of it looking so good. Um, Bearings did not return to issuance, which is like a thing where they hand out uh, it's banking stuff. I don't know. Like when they're given loans? Like I guess when they're so. Able to give yeah, they're, they're able to give out a loan because they've got the finances to do that now. Thank you, Derek. That makes absolute sense. I'm going to explain that to my wife because she's always asking me financial stuff and I'm always like, yeah, I know. I, I just may have just made that up. I'm busy to tell you right now. Uh, no, that, that that is exactly what happened. Um <laughs> Bearings did not return to issuance on a substantial scale until 1900, concentrating on securities in the United States and Argentina. You'd think they'd fucking avoid that. Yeah, didn't, isn't that what did them in? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And, and being, like, stupid with their money. Um, it operated under the leadership of Edward's son, John Bering, the second Baron Ravenstoke. In the early years of the 20th century, the company's restraint during the period cost its preeminence in the world of finance, but later paid dividends when its refusal to take a chance on finance, financing Germany's recovery from World War I saved it from some of the most painful losses incurred by other British banks at the onset of the Great Depression. So, being cautious... This this is the bank that the the your guy went to work for. Yes, yes, this okay. is Bearings now. So they were cautious, obviously, because they fucking nearly got bankrupt once. They were okay. cautious for a long time. And people were like, what's the matter with you? You've got an opportunity here. Take it. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to wait. And then when everyone else was falling apart in the, uh, the Great Depression, they were okay because they'd been cautious. They'd worked and looked at long run, uh, long returns. Whereas, like being cavalier and looking at short term led to, you know, basically the collapse of the entire planet's financial system. Obviously, mm -hmm. other banks learned the lesson and followed the bearings model. Never completely. did it again. Never, never any trouble ever again. <laughs> I know we keep doing this, but it's like every five years it feels like the banks fuck us over. So we yeah. can't allowed to make this joke a lot. Um, during the Second World War. The British government used bearings to liquidate assets in the United States and elsewhere to help finance the war effort. After the war, bearings was overtaken in size and influence by other banking houses, but remained an important player in the market because they had connections to the right people, especially after helping sell assets for the entire British government. That's really, that's like a big deal, you know, getting that money. That kept Britain alive. We were able to build ships and buy okay. food and medicine and shit like that when we were getting destroyed by the U-boats and the Luftwaffe, Luftwaffe. So, yeah, bearings were very important in that point in time. And as a result of that, they had a good reputation. So, 
going to work for them. They might not be the most impressive bank in the world, but they're seen as like solid, they're good guys, and you can count on them. They've been around so, forever in a day. Exactly. They've been around for hundreds of years at this point, over 200 years. Now let's go back to Nick Leeson. Um, <laughs> uh, with four se- uh, four other settlement specialists, Nick Leeson was briefly seconded to Hong Kong to troubleshoot Bering's back office in the Indonesian capital of Jakarta. So backwards and forwards between Hong Kong and Jakarta. They should have been more cautious about their employees. Yes, they should. And we will get to that in a second, Kimberly. Back on um, tracks were harder in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually covering your fucking tracks were very easy in the 90s. So he returned <laughs> to London in September 1991 to investigate a case of fraud in which a Bearings employee had used a client's account to trade on proprietary basis until margin calls from the clearinghouses unraveled the scheme. I don't know what any of that means, but he's becoming super useful right now, and he's still like 24 at this point. He's still young. Sounded like he was using a customer's account to trade on credit. Basically, yeah. that's That sounds right. So he's like trying to hide it, but at the same time, like make some money. So in April 1992, Bearings decided to open a futures and operate, uh, options office in Singapore, executing and clearing transactions on the Singaporean International Money Exchange, or CIMEX. Bearings had held a seat on CIMEX for some time, but did not activate it until Leeson, appointed general manager, was sent over to head both front office and back office operations. That's probably not good. They should probably have separate people for that shit, right? The, they have them running the front and the back. Nobody's nobody's watching. <laughs> no one's worried about that. Imagine Couldn't if it could possibly be that. a problem. <laughs> I, I'm going to front it, and I'm also control the finances, and that's never going to be an issue. Um, <laughs> prior to leaving. Nick Leeson was denied a broker's license in the UK because of committing fraud on his application. He had failed to report a judgment against him, entered by the National Westminster Bank, NatWest. Neither Leeson nor Bearings disclosed this denial when he applied for his license in Singapore. Big fucking alarm bells now, because Bearings are backing this guy despite the fact they know he's committed fraud. So That's probably not good. Yeah, nothing can possibly go wrong, right, guys? Yeah, um, I mean, he's only committed fraud and nobody's watching him. No, and he controls the front and the back office in, in a country that, like, sees most of the world's finances pass through it at some point. It's fine. Nothing can go wrong here. Um, from 1992, Leeson made unauthorized speculative trades that at first made large profits for bearings, £10 million, which accounted for 10% of bearings' annual profits. Wow. Good Again, job. 1992. This is a lot of money. Um, yeah. It's, I haven't done the adjusted for inflation stuff. Basically, he just went and gambled and got yes. lucky once. Okay. Exactly. And he's like doing little gambles here and there. And they're like, oh my God, you just boosted our revenue by like 10%. You're a genius. And he's like, yeah, I am a fucking genius. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. Um, he earned a bonus. This is incredible. I can't quite understand this bonus. He earned a bonus of £130,000 on top of his salary of £50,000 for that year. That's £378,000 or nearly $500,000 in today's money. Most of that bonus. Could you imagine if your bonus was like nearly three times your wage? Yeah, that's nuts. That is My bonus is crazy. like 500 bucks. 
my bonus is nowhere near that. <laughs> I have to bust my ass for it. So, you know, that's, I mean, I can see why that would be attractive to a lot of people, but unfortunately it encourages gambling. So, yes, yes. Leeson's, <laughs> he, he's like kind of becoming out of control at this point, but a lot of that is because bearings are encouraging him to become out of control. So, yeah, well, you know, risk yeah. big, win big. Exactly. And like Kimberly says, you're not going to say no to it, are you? Yeah, I'll take that three times my normal wage bonus. Fuck it. Um, Leeson's luck soon went sour, and he used one of Bearing's error accounts, accounts used to correct mistakes made in trading, to hide his losses. First time he's doing this. He says that um, this account was first used to hide an error made by one of his subordinates. She'd been assigned to buy 20 futures, future con futures contracts from Fuji Bank, but had sold them instead, um, costing bearings $20,000. So, oops. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, it's a drop in the ocean to bearings, but still, that's a problem. Unfortunately, it opened the floodgates because he was like, oh. Wait, we've got an account where we can hide this shit? Yeah, let's just use that. That's amazing. Um, however, Leeson used this error account to cover further bad trades by himself and others. For example, he used it to cover a number of mistakes made by one of his traders who frequently came to work after long nights of partying. you got to be sharp in the morning. You know, you got to have that eighth line of cocaine. So I never worked there. <laughs> no, that's... Um, and also, like, they're in Singapore. Like you have to be Ooh. very careful how you party in Singapore because you can end up in jail for years. Yeah. For Isn't like, that where they caned that kid for spray painting stuff? They caned a lot of people over in Singapore. It's part of their punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, totally. Last time me and my coworkers got a bonus was when we robbed a jewelry store and we broke open the safe in the bank. I I don't know who this person is. They're definitely not a fan of this podcast. Uh, joking. No, that's he's being. He's we have fun. a Patreon. Yeah, um, we have a Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your secrets in there if you want. Um, Leeson <laughs> believes um, he first crossed uh, the line in an out-and-out -out criminal conduct situation, although he's clearly, clearly already done that, uh, yeah. when he forgot to reconcile a discrepancy of 500 contracts, costing bearings $1.7 million, the equivalent of $3.6 in today's money. That's one day, that trade. That's that's a little bit more than the 20 grand that they messed up. It's a little bit more, isn't it? Uh, and it's sorry. way more than the 1.2 million that uh, Rockefeller got away <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, I know. And again, one day's worth. Uh, as Kimberly says, I'm starting to believe these weren't mistakes. Me too. He concluded um, that the only way to hide such a massive error and keep his job was to hide it in the error account. Leeson insists that he never used the account for his own gain, but in 1996, investigators had located approximately $35 million in various bank accounts tied to him, $68 million in 2023 money. Oh, yeah, you know, I just, I, I'd been out partying, I hadn't slept, and I just pressed the wrong key, and I transferred $35 million to myself, you know. Good God. It happens. Um, by the end of 1992, the error accounts losses exceeded $2 million, increasing to $23 million in late 1993, gone up more than tenfold. This amount ballooned to 208 million pounds by the end of 1994. Like exponential. Like, he's adding a full fucking decimal point to these every single time. It's like that movie Office Space where they accidentally were supposed to be taking a fraction of a penny and they took it penny. all. 
they just take all the fucking money and run. Uh, that's hilarious. So it's, put it into a perspective, 208 million, that is $428 million in 2023 money. So started at two, went to like 23 and 200 and fucking eight million in a year. Jesus. That is nuts. So over the course of three years, he's lost like $235 million uh, and no one's paying any fucking attention to it. Like that escalated quickly, like it way did. quicker than I thought it was going to. I know. Crazy. Leeson had followed a doubling strategy. This is where it gets interesting. Every time he lost money, he would bet double the amount that he was lo- that he had lost in order to recoup the amount. This had been successful for him in the past, including once in 1993, where he was able to cover a six million negative six million pound negative balance in the error account, and after which he vowed not to use the account again. Sounds like he's a gambling addict. Yeah, I've point. lost my ass using that method on blackjack. I know, and like, I don't see how this is like because we we we're supposed to think of bankers as experts in the fields, as smart, su- suave traders who like use schemes and tactics and like data strategies, data to like make very precise bets. But actually, this guy's just fucking gambling at this point. Yeah, my you gut know? told me. I was talking to this burning bush outside. It said, <laughs> "What we're gonna I do?" Fail. <laughs> I'm, I'm on such a hot streak, I can't fail. Um, however, Leeson had to maintain his reputation as a trading genius and soon found himself hiding his losses there again. As the losses grew higher and higher, Leeson fabricated cover stories to explain why he needed more cash from London. His sterling reputation protected him from close scrutiny. Yeah, it's always the case, isn't it? Someone with a great reputation, it's like, couldn't possibly be them. Yeah, but oh. how did he get the sterling reputation? Just because he had one good deal and a bunch of shit ones? I know. As, as far as they know, he's only had like one or two good deals and no bad ones because he's fucking hiding them all. Right, that's right. It's in the air account. It's in the error account, which is now like billions of dollars deep. It's like those movies where the antagonists are trying to unravel what they believe a sinister conspiracy, but in reality, it's just one big misunderstanding of some idiot's numerous mistakes. Exactly. It's just Nick Leeson. Being a fucking gambling addict. <laughs> My God. Um, so this is where it gets really interesting. Um, the beginning of the end occurred on the 16th of January, 1995, when Leeson placed a short straddle, interesting name, in the Singapore and Tokyo stock exchanges, essentially betting that the Japanese stock market would not move significantly overnight. What could go wrong? <laughs> the great... When was this? So... Um, January 16th, 1995. During the course of the night of January 16th, 1995, the great Hanshin earthquake hit early in the morning on the 17th of January, sending Asian markets and Leeson's trading positions into a tailspin. Leeson attempted to recoup his losses by making a series of increasingly risky new trades using a long, long future arbitrage, this time betting that the Nikkei Stock Exchange would make a rapid recovery. However, the recovery failed to materialize. Leeson left a note reading, I'm sorry, and fled (laughs) Singapore on the 23rd of February. Losses eventually reached $827 million. Pounds, one point left an IOU and dipped. Just sorry, guys. I'm going out to the store. I'll be right back. One point four billion US dollars, which is 
2.8 billion in 2023. This is in one day's trading. That is gross. That like is- Peterson, but head to America. Yeah, that, that is nuts. That is fucking insane money. This was twice bearings available trading capital. This is twice the value of the company. Oh my and god. Yeah. So did they notice? Oh yeah. <laughs> Why is this guy not answering his phone? Why do we have no money? Why is the FBI knocking on our door? Leeson left a note saying, I'm sorry, fled on the 23rd of February. Um, Bearings um, failed to get a buyout, a bailout attempt, uh, which left the UK's oldest merchant bank declaring insolvency on the 26th of February, three days later. They were done. After 200 years this fucking numpty ruined the company in a day. I mean, kind of in a day, mostly in a day. Mostly I mean, he's been he had a good day. run at it. He really <laughs> did. He'd been trying to run them out of business for years at this point. Dude, that um, Nevis and Butthead thing just got me get excited. I wanted to bring oh, my little yes. toys up. I love that. I love that. I miss Beavis and Butthead. I wish my children <laughs> could make it up. Um, after fleeing to Malaysia, Thailand, and finally Germany, of all places, Leeson was arrested in Frankfurt and extradited back to Singapore on 20th of uh, November 1995. Leeson pleaded guilty to two counts of deceiving the bank's auditors and of cheating the Singapore exchange, including forging documents. Ooh, that's not good. Please tell me he was caned. Oh, boy. You wait. So, District Judge Richard Magnus, uh, was convict- who convicted Leeson, decided to sentence Leeson to six and a half years in Changi Prison in Singapore. Random facts about Changi Prison. It's the oldest and largest prison in Singapore. It has a capacity of 11,000 pr- prisoners. Um, it's where the worst of the worst are kept. So, it's like Supermax. Um, and the cells are seven foot by five foot. Um yeah, like a shoebox. <laughs> they have a combined shower toilet, so you get your own shower, but like it's a squat toilet. Hey, uh, at least you don't have to worry about anybody complaining about peeing in the shower. No, because it's just you in your box and this tiny shower. <laughs> also, uh, no bed in Singapore prisons. They get a uh, bamboo rollout mat to sleep on. That's mm. it. No cushion, nothing. You yeah. get two blankets, one of which most people use as a cushion, the other one people use as like a mattress. To kind I of bet you he wish he was caned. Well, he got caned. <gasps> uh, <laughs> um, it's also where uh, Changi Prison is where the uh, judicial corporate punishment is levered out in the form of caning. Um, caning sessions at Changi are reportedly held twice per week with a matinee coming on Fridays. So, so they just give it to you? If you're stuck yeah. there, they just cane you daily? Not, not daily. Like twice oh. a week. And if oh, you yeah. haven't obeyed the rules... Or if you've been sentenced to, like, because some people in Changi, and I read up about it, because when I heard that they had no mattress, I was like, that is fucking inhumane, because they, I looked into it. They start the day, 7 a.m., they do this thing called muster calling, where you have to stand by your door, and they open the hatch, and you say, hi, good morning, officer, and then that's <laughs> it. And then they play 15 minutes of soothing music, which I was like, that's kind of cool, but could you not give them a fucking bed frame and mattress as well Um, it's the soothing music yeah it's actually kind of like yoga studio music like that kind of thing screaming or something yeah it's not like (laughs) fucking 
uh, Waco music or anything yeah, like that. Anima for <laughs> 20 minutes. Pantera or something screaming <laughs> at 7 a.m. But no, it's um, it's actually quite soothing, but like they don't have beds. They have one plastic uh, container where they're allowed to keep their, their own belongings and stuff. Every morning they are given a razor blade to shave with, and then they have 15 minutes to shave and give it back to the guard. They have to shave every morning, these people. They're allowed one book. It's the Bible. And um, you're allowed to buy stuff on the canteen, but it's usually really expensive. Uh, their breakfast is four slices of bread. Hmm. Yeah. Ew. Their meals are typically around about 800 calories a day, which is less than half of what you need to kind of be a functioning human being, essentially. <sighs> well, that Airbnb is getting two stars. I know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the host played nice music. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, if you disobey any of the rules, you get caned. So and Singapore canes are no laughing matter. Those are a no. series of bamboo sticks strung together and they fucking sting. I've been hit with one because I'm a huge wrestling fan and they're like a prevalent thing in in wrestling circles. And man, they fucking hurt. My Ouch. God. See, yeah. I joke about it, but I joke only because I've never been hit by one and <sighs> I'm kind of a jerk, but <laughs> no, they they hurt a lot. And like some people in this prison are sentenced to like Three years, four months, and sixty canings. So they have to have like. Remind me, I'm never going to Singapore, just in case. Sing like here's the thing about Singapore, beautiful country, and like some of the city, because it's it's an island country, like it's very compact, like two hundred square miles or something, and they have millions of people living on it. Um, it's very well controlled. Ninety five percent of the land is owned by the government, so there's a lot of high rise buildings and stuff. It's very futuristic, very efficient kind of beautiful in a futuristic way. Uh, the film Her was filmed there, all the outside locations. Uh, Spike Jones film Her with okay. Joaquin Phoenix, where he falls in love with his operating system. Love that film. Uh, that was filmed in Singapore, but it's very, very, very authoritarian, and it's kind of scary. So, yeah. Make your own choices about that one. <laughs> um, so, Anyway, Leeson was released in July 1999 after serving uh, at least two-thirds of his sentence, so four years and four months, for good behavior and having been diagnosed with colon cancer, which he survived despite Ooh. grim forecasts because until very recently, colon and bowel cancer, nobody survived those. Those were like death sentences for men. So, yeah. yeah. And he I'm get- Ethan, I'll enjoy the scenery from my computer. Yeah, exactly. Smart move, Kimberly. Natural that that bamboo mat that he sleeps on. Natural yoga mat. Comfortable. Now, exactly. Also, their food gets slid through a crack in the door at the very bottom. So, yeah, dude, I wouldn't shave every day. That would suck. No, well, I think it's like a prerequisite. I think if you don't shave, you get caned. So, like, fuck it, I'll take the caning. You know, I want to grow a bit of designer stubble. Show it off to all the other people who are confined to their cells for (laughs) twenty-three hours a day. I think um, I would end up getting killed if I had to go to prison somewhere like that. Just because yeah. I'm, yeah. Just I beat me to both, death. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. I think we're both too white for a foreign prison, to be honest. I yeah. think we'd, like, we'd, we'd struggle like to adjust so to the, bad. the culture. It is. In 1996, uh, Leeson published an autobiography. This is when he's going through the trial, by the way. Uh, published an autobiography called Rogue Trader, detailing his acts. A review in the financial columns of the New York Times stated, this is a dreary book written by a young man very taken with himself, but it ought to be read by banking managers and auditors everywhere. So they're basically saying, he's really fucking dangerous. 
and an arrogant prick. But all bankers are that anyway, so they should read this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was it was he right, or is he telling people dangerous ways to rob banks? I think he's just like, look at what I got away with. It's like the the Wolf of Wall Street type thing, where it sort of glamorizes. Uh, what's his name? Jordan Belfort. Belfort. Yeah. yeah. It's That's, like. Mm. Mm. What's messed up is salespeople will show you that and boiler room and mm. suckers and you'll get amped to just screw people over and sell them things. <laughs> so and then you just feel so gross. Yeah. And and yeah. some people don't. And those are the people I know that I just don't want to associate with. <laughs> those are the people that make a lot of money through sales, but end up like dead at 55, 60 because they've just led incredibly high stress, high intensity lives. Um, yeah. Don't or in a Singapore prison because they lost or $2 billion in a day. $2 billion in one day. Um, in 1999, the book was made into a film uh, of the same name. And I've seen this film. It's actually not bad. Uh, starring Ewan McGregor and Anna what's, Friel. What's the name again? Um, Rogue Trader. It's like, I have to be honest, like when you watch the trailer and you can still find the trailer. In fact, actually, I looked on YouTube. You can watch this film for free on YouTube completely free so if you mm. want to watch the nick leeson story just type in rogue trader film on youtube and it's not like even a torrent or some illegal a torrent look at me showing my fucking <laughs> name uh, or like an illegal upload it's by an official film company so oh, okay. you can watch this film for free on youtube called rogue trader i will say that the trailer itself and elements of the film because this is like not too long after um what was that ewan mcgregor film where he became famous Oh my god. Um that film about drugs. Um oh man. Train spotting. Ah. Train spotting became a huge success with the like dead baby crawling along the ceiling and shit. Still like haven't that. seen that one. Yes. I, I should. Uh, I, that's one of the ones everybody talks about and I've never seen. It's very it's much of its time. Right? Sorry, what? About heroin, right? Oh yeah, it's all heroin. They even like the um the Lou Reed song with such perfect day like they kind of brought that back into the social consciousness because like that's a song about doing heroin in the park um but yeah it's it's very much of its time i don't think it's aged particularly well some of it's really interesting and really devastating because it's a danny boyle film danny boyle makes good fucking films like 28 days later and a bunch of films that have completely escaped me right now but like um uh, it's good it's a well-made film. I just don't think it's aged particularly well. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend going to watch it, but it's very much like Ewan McGregor. He's come out of train spotting. They want to recreate that a little bit. So they're doing train spotting with banking. So it's okay. <laughs> um, Toastoid with a bunch of comments here. How can you cane me through the protective hide? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just use the yoga mat to, to protect you. Rogue Good traders idea. are what uh, pirates are called in uh, Warhammer 40k. Didn't know that. A load of people I know are well into Warhammer and stuff like that. It's my latest hyperfixation, and I will bring it up whenever I get the opportunity. I know um, my my brother-in-law is like he gets paid commissions to paint like these little figurines that people use in their Warhammer campaigns. He's really good at that shit. So that's a, that's like a game with real figurines. Yeah. Like the tiny little, and you've got, I don't know how to play it, but like, it's a whole thing. It's like a dystopian sci-fi thing. It's got a massive law and all of it's miserable and horrible. But um, yeah, it's like, imagine June, 
only even further into the future, and there's a bunch of alien races, and everyone keeps killing each other. It's just it's I got nothing. horrifying. So I yeah, just... it's it's a big thing. Like in the the gaming industry, like the miniatures and the for, Warhammer 40k, it's a big deal. I mean, Warhammer sounds was made into a film, so yeah. Okay, that's ago. probably why it sounds familiar. The original <clears throat> Warhammer was made into a film. Anyway, um, so back to Nick Leeson and away from miniatures. Um, so um, yeah, he also uh, the events from the subject matter of a 1996 television documentary made by Adam Curtis, who makes some of the best documentaries you will ever see, but they're like five hours long, um, titled Inside Story Special, 830 million uh, Nick Leeson and the Fall of the House of Bearings. In 2003, as a mature student, Nick Leeson graduated uh, from Middlesex University with a BSc in psychology, and then married someone called Leona Torme, an Irish beautician. So, rebuilding okay. his life. We like that, you know? It's went a different way. It did. And actually, it keeps going. Um, so, he is um, a guest on the after dinner and keynote speaking circuits starting in 2019. The uh, two events in a month is uh, stating in 2019, rather, two events a month is enough to keep me in a manner to which I'm accustomed. So he gets paid a lot of money to speak after. Mm. A bit like our friend um, with the jewelry store. who uh, Ratner. Yeah. yeah, Jared Ratner, who like makes an absolute killing, getting paid like 25 grand to do an after-dinner speech these days. So I need to just royally screw up so yeah. I can get people to pay me to go talk to them at dinner. Yeah, there was a, there was a Welsh drug dealer called Howard Marks who ran drugs all over America, South America, worked with some of the biggest cartels. He ended up in prison for, like, years and years. And then he released a, a book called, uh, was it Mr. Nice or something like that? Anyway, like, he ended up making a film about his life. He did a theater tour. Guy's a multimillionaire now. So, nice. yeah, it works. Nice. Well, uh, yeah. Totally, totally normal <laughs> thing to do. Screw up your life and then write about it. Um, he, yeah, so he's doing the after dinner thing. In 2005, he teamed up with renowned psychologist Ivan Tyrell uh, to, and I'm going to quote the book now, co author Back from the Brink, Coping with Stress, and sh uh, show how the continual levels of high stress that affected Nick's own mental and physical health can be related to us all. This is terrible. Uh, through a series of in-depth conversations, the book addresses topics including living with relationship and family problems, struggling with debt, striving to achieve success and status, and coping with serious illness. And, you know, which disguises look best in which airports when you're running from Interpol, I guess, would be another chapter in that book. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's the part that the bankers want to read. Yeah, that's a good point from <laughs> Toastside here about uh, Warhammer. It's uh, most of it is basically just June, but more depressing. That's a okay. fairly decent summation, actually, of Warhammer 40k. Uh, so Leeson was appointed commercial director of Galway United Football Club in April 2005, rising to the position of general manager in November 2005. By July 2007, he'd become the club's chief executive officer. But in February 2011, after the club encountered financial problems, he resigned his position. I should point out this is nothing to do with him. This is not okay. him fucking around with the books <laughs> or anything. This is just an Irish football team. You know, they're a small-scale operation. They run into problems. Football clubs are notoriously dodgy when it comes to finances. So it's unlikely this is him, like, 
skimming or anything like that. Okay, so. he's not putting anything in the error. No, okay. no, I, d I don't think he's found another error folder and he's like shoving <laughs> stuff in there. So um, in March 2023, so very recent this one, Leeson joined Red Mist Market uh, Enforcement Unit, a corporate intelligence firm run by a former Black Cube operative, Seth Friedman, and turned into an investigative sorry an investigator of journ of uh, financial misconduct cases so he's done the catch me if you can thing he's like this is how i hid my shit and let's catch some people that are so it's gone full circle now as of 2023 nick leeson is trying to catch nick leeson's well see now you made him lose all his points <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's making amends he's doing good stuff and actually like i'm not going to make excuses he was in his 20s so he was partying it, and also that world the banking world it's full of like this bro bullshit mentality drinking partying it's so dangerous to be in that hyper masculine environment with very few checks and balances especially when you can keep getting away with stuff like he did so not making excuses but it sounds like you know we are now 25 years removed from him getting out of prison he sounds like he's learned his lesson, I would say. Yeah, he didn't run off and just start scamming people and marrying other Playboy models. Exactly. Yeah. He was like, no, I'm just going to marry my my wonderful Irish wife. I'm going to move to Galway. I'm going to have a nice life. And and actually, you know, he's written a book. He's doing the after dinner circuit now. Like he says, he does two of them a month and he's fine. So nice. why would he bother like <laughs> stealing yeah. money? He doesn't need to. He's set for life because he fucked up his life. So... Yeah. There you go. So that's Nick Leeson. So now that you know a man who lost well over $2 billion in today's money in a single day, uh, what are your thoughts on this guy? Um, God, that's so much money so quickly. And I mean, it's... it's I feel for him because I feel like I could have done that. I feel like I could too. Not that I'm but... like dishonest or I would steal money from my employer or anything. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I have been in a situation where I'm like, oh, I've made a mistake. Yeah. And you don't know. I'm going to pile mistakes on top of it. Run. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to pile mistakes on top of this to try to fix it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the problem is that often the fear of accountability is like a far more dangerous driving force behind your behavior yeah. than the actual continuing to make it worse situation. Absolutely. So, and that's the lesson right there is that just own shit and correct it yeah. and try to fix it by yeah. getting other people involved and getting eyes on it and saying, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And actually, if he'd maybe like at the 1.7 million stage where he's like used the errors account to hide that. If he just said, look, guys, I've made you like six million here. I've made you 10 million there. But I need to let you know I lost 1.7 million today and I need your help so that this doesn't happen again because I like working for you guys, stuff like that. And if he had, bearings might still be around. A lot of people yeah. lost their jobs because of this guy. Like dozens, and, hundreds of people. And that's exactly why I'm, I'm going to go with a 76. That's, that's think, totally fair. You know, I was going to go lower because he fixed himself, mm. but so much money in one day. That is yeah. just colossal idiotness. Two billion. It's its funny, though, because, you know, we think of 
of two billion, and it is so much money. And uh, Gerard Ratner, you know, wiping out hundreds of millions of pounds off of his company's value by saying stuff about prawn sandwiches and stuff at an after dinner party. But I feel like we've had a lot of instances in the last like 10, 15, 20 years since Nick Leeson where multiple different traders have probably lost like 2 billion in a day and we've never heard of them probably because they didn't go on run on the run through like different companies. But like, I feel like Elon Musk has wiped 2 billion off of like Twitter or, or like Tesla's value just by saying some stupid shit on Twitter. Maybe. You know, I I'm, feel like you know what? I'm so disappointed. I just bought this really cool hat with an X on it and now I don't want it. It was before <laughs> you said that too. You know. Yeah. Um, I, have people really lost $2 billion in a day though? Cause I feel like that's a department of defense sort of loss. Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, I don't know where $2 billion went. That's like a lot of money in a day. I, I maybe not in a day, but I feel like during the financial crisis, uh, like the 2007, 2008 financial crisis, when people were like setting up these garbage mortgage things and yeah. like they were setting themselves up because in one day, like three banks closed. So, you know, um, I true. feel like in one day we've lost money, but it's because it's been set up by a series of incompetencies and, and poor management over a period of time but yeah i think more i mean more money's been wiped out in a day you know since then but yeah i, I think nick leeson because it was the biggest like single day loss by a single trader um in in history up to that point and he tried to hide it and run yeah like you never there's no way you can run like even in 1999 or no 96 or whenever it was like you could not, you could go to what you know, whatever country he wants to try and flee to. They are going to find you and get you back. To be fair, though, that uh, crypto queen Ra- Raja that we covered, yeah, she found her. Now I think she's cut into pieces, though. I think yeah, I think and somebody's found her. Probably that, not Interpol. There's that other guy that disappeared in India, faked his, or he died in yeah, India. Yeah, he's my favorite one because he was like, I, he died from complications from Crohn's disease. I'm like, no, sorry, listen, I have Crohn's disease. Complications are, you know, you can be very unwell. Maybe if it gets really bad, you might call the hospital and go in, but you don't just drop dead from Crohn's disease. It's not how it happens. It's a slow, painful death, as I'm finding out over decades of periods of time. He just so, did it on vacation. He's, he's, he's just like in India and then he died. So, yeah, I don't buy it. I think oh. he's living out in Nepal somewhere or, or a non-extradition country or somewhere like that. So, yeah, yeah China, maybe. Probably. Uh, yeah. So that's that's Nick Leeson, the man who lost $2 billion in a day, although it says $830 million, like adjusted for inflation, adds $2 billion right there. Uh, yeah, crazy money, but he has turned his life around. He's not only making a good living for himself now, but he is calm and peaceful by the sounds of it, and actually making the world good by looking for these exact situations that other people might be encountering. Which is awesome. Which is amazing. Like, if you can turn your terrible experiences into a positive for other people and help them and, you know, stop other situations like this or victims being created then that's one of the best things you can do with your life to repay your mistakes i think so definitely a major points for that however had he just 
fucked off after losing two billion, I think he'd be getting a little bit higher. Yes, so. absolutely, for sure. And also, I want to clarify on. some stuff here because I highly advocated for somebody getting caned, and I, yeah. I want to say I don't ever want violence on anybody ever. No. So no. and um, don't do illegal things. And yeah. all of my stuff is jokes. I'm never serious, we, and usually not- I'm wrong. We're not serious. We don't wish like harm or death on anyone. We certainly like to ridicule them, but we're not here to like make people targets. But unfortunately, in Singapore, caning is a thing. So I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like still a major thing now. But yeah, I mean, twice a week they have caning shows. Like, hey everyone, time to. Do, you, do they get you on the back or the butt? Because you think slip it's your bamboo thing into your pants. Would they catch that? Uh, I, why? I, they probably hear it, but I think it's caning across the back. Yeah. So it's like mostly like directly across your back. So if anything, like working out in your cell or in a gym, like get your back big and swole, at least that'll reduce the pain a little bit. Or maybe get yourself super fat, but then they're not feeding you enough. Anyway, um, so yeah, caning is a thing and it's not fair. And Singapore is kind of an interesting country. Um, Google Singapore, really beautiful, interesting modern architecture, but man, drop chewing gum on the floor there. You are in fucking trouble. Um, so I think it might even be banned still, chewing gum chewing from that gum? country. They've banned mm. chewing gum from the country. You won't find a speck of it on any pavement anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of a good idea. Maybe not. Um, so, <laughs> so that's our show for this week. Um, so we've had, uh, what was it, Christopher Rockefeller? Uh, yes. Wonderful. Like, kind of interesting, suave con artist who... You know, traditional con artists, less murdery than other con artists mm-hmm. and less like scary, just sort mm-hmm. of seducing Playboy models and running around with like 10 or 15 grand of other people's money. And then Nick Leeson is just like a massive gambling addict who's been given a shitload of money to play with. That's, yeah, I'm just going to leave my baby next to this bath full of water with a bun- with a toaster that's plugged into a socket. This will be fine. Nothing, Nothing could go wrong. Be. Yeah, what? <laughs> So that's our show for this week. Um, I want to say thank you again to Kimberly and Jesse, our wonderful patrons. Thank you so much. Um, Kimberly, thank you so much for being along with us for this ride as well. It's been so fun talking to you. And Toasterzoid, as always, our co-pilot in this podcast. So great to have you with us. Um, Thank you so much. And also, if you guys want to follow us on social media, please go to history's greatest idiots on instagram and go to greatest idiots on twitter also we have a patreon as well so if you go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots you can join jesse and kimberly and get a loads of special amazing stuff like a, a, a what was it like you get a, a i was gonna say prize then i think there's you a sticker actual, or something there's a sticker or a mug for certain levels as well so you get a gift and you also get all of our scripts and you get mentioned in the podcast and we do like exclusive behind the scenes stuff as well. So as soon as I remember I, how to log in, I'll probably talk to you on there. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. I also, um, I posted pictures from, well, a picture because I didn't take enough really, uh, from my recent trip around the podcast convention in oh, London nice. from June. Yeah. That was, that was a really cool event. It was, uh, I made out of it in profit as well because I got this microphone for free and it's worth 350 quid and the tickets were only 99 quid for both days. So Nice. Um, now, what company gave you that? Um, Heil. 
So I want to say thank you to Heil again for donating. It was I don't know nice. if it was their CFO or COO. Anyway, lovely guy gave me this microphone completely for free. And he was like, just come back at, at six o'clock. I'll give you this microphone. And I'm there at like 5.57 and he's talking to a client. I'm just lingering in the background. <laughs> microphone. <laughs> so oh, man. thank you so much for that. So yeah, um, posted about that on the Patreon as well. It was a really interesting day. Uh, Kimberly, I want the... I want that get out of trouble certificate. That might be like a special bonus. Like maybe if you guys have stayed with us for a year, we'll like send you a get out of stupidity uh, certificate that we can knock up and design and stuff. I think that'd be a really good, like year long present for sticking with us as a patron. Yeah, that'd be totally cool. Um, So yeah, thank you so much to everyone. Um, We will see you again in a couple of weeks. This episode, for those of you that are watching live, we'll be going out as a podcast uh literally later tonight so i've got a bunch of editing to do so um derek would you like to say goodbye please goodbye everybody goodbye and we will see you all again very soon take care now bye